Welcome to the How the Why. With John Barrett Ingalls. Exploring and celebrating the creative process and the creative purpose of authors, editors, and artists that make up and inspire the Black Hill Press family. Black Hill Press is dedicated to the novella. We believe a great story is never defined by its length. Let's get creative. Hello and welcome to the How, the Why brought to you by Black Hill Press. My name is John Barrett Ingalls and today we are connected with Sophie Worley, editor of Shimmer Magazine. Sophie, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Um, so let's start off by talking a little bit about Shimmer Magazine. You're a, a short story fiction magazine um, that comes out annually, correct? It's I, We're quarterly. Or quarterly, okay. Yeah, we do um, quarterly online issues, uh, four stories apiece, and we're going to do an annual print anthology of everything published in the last year. Um, currently still working out the kinks in that. We've moved from um, being totally paper to this sort of hybrid style, so it's taking some adjustment. So nothing is exists in print at this point. It's all online. Um, we have back issues available in print, which are um, for sale, I think, on the website, or maybe not. It might just be PDFs on the website, but um, we did exist in print totally for a while, um, and now we're on a website and hopefully a print anthology coming up. Oh, very cool. Now, uh, your magazine focuses mainly on speculative fiction. Will you help us uh, get a better understanding of what exactly speculative fiction is? Yeah, well I think speculative fiction is sort of an umbrella term that covers what most people would consider um, fantasy and science fiction. So things like um, you know the fantastic story is sort of in the line of um, uh, you know, uh, War of the Worlds, Lord of the Rings. Sure. But yeah, so that's sort of traditionally where it is. Um, what we focus on particularly are things like contemporary fantasy with a really strong emotional bent, um, sort of unusual interpretations of uh, the fantastic, um, things that are a little uncomfortable in their relationship with technology. So things like uh, Slipstream, which is a genre that um, focus on, focuses a little bit on sort of like discomfort. It's really like an affectual thing that Shimmer is interested in. That's like a terrible way of describing it. But it's, it's things that are not of the world that we live in. Um, that make you uncomfortable or make you feel the sublime or make you feel something that you can't really get at in a sort of realist, naturalist story. Hmm. Now, can, can you tell me a little bit about uh, how Shimmer got started? I know that you've just joined recently, uh, but uh, right. they've been around since 2005. What was, what, what, how did it all happen? How did it uh, grow from an idea to this online magazine? <laughs> uh, 
Um, well, Shimmer was started by Beth Wodzinski, um, and she <laughs> was talking to her about this the other day, and I think it basically started out of like hubris and curiosity and um, a sort of desire to see a certain type of story more and more in, um, in opposition to, I think, what sort of was being published at the time. Um, which, you know, I wasn't around for that, so I don't, I don't really know, but it, it was, you know, it was an emergent, it was, she was interested in like this particular kind of story and she didn't know how much work it would be to start a magazine. So she was like, okay, let's just do it and see what happens. Um, and they started off paying, you know, a little bit of money coming out whenever they had enough stories, um, and sort of picked up steam from there. I joined in 2010. Um, then I had some intermittent years where uh, I had other obligations. I couldn't really be on the magazine working as much. Um, came back about a year or two years ago um, and then have been, yeah, happily plugging along ever since. Now, were you a writer of science fiction, speculative fiction uh, of, that, of that genre? Was that your thing before you got involved with them? Yeah, I mean, I've always been interested in science fiction and fantasy. Um, my parents are both scientists and huge nerds, so I sort of grew up with that. I'm also a huge nerd. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we had a tradition every year where we'd watch all three Lord of the Rings movies <laughs> over New Year's Eve. That was just what we did for a while. The extended um, edition, I hope, right? Yeah, of yeah, course. So it was like a seven-hour-long endeavor every <laughs> single year. Um, and I grew up sort of in that genre and um, you know when I think about think about stories um, they're always sort of expansive and, and incorporate these fantastic elements um, it occurred to me the other day or while I'm thinking about you know what I wanted to say here that the sort of fantastic and the sort of mundane are sort of intertwined in my brain in this really odd way um, they're not really separate. I think that's just because I've just been in it for so long and that's just how I think. <laughs> um, you've written uh, a few pieces on your own as mm -hmm. well. Um, were you going to school as a writer before uh, joining in as an editor? Um, no, I wasn't going to school as a writer um, I was in college when I joined Shimmer as a slush reader, um, and actually that's why I had to, you know, sort of step back for a while because the demands of college were so high. Um, the pieces that I wrote, though, most of them I did write during school. It was just the way that I made time for myself during college was to take, you know, a couple of creative writing classes a year just to have space, designated writing space to keep in practice, um, which I think was really smart because otherwise I don't think I would have been productive at all. Now, how do you feel about uh, the difference of working as an editor and uh, be, and being a writer and, and creator of, of your own stories and worlds? Mm -hmm. um, well, it's definitely a different part of your brain. Um, something that I think is really critical in terms of being an editor is to sort of put your own artistic ego aside because the things that you're interested in as a, as a writer or as an artist aren't necessarily going to be the same things that 
you know, every single story is interested in. And um, if you want to make any story the best that it can be, you have to sort of take it as it is and see how its particular interests and particular weaknesses as well. Because if you're dealing, you know, with things that are coming in, maybe they're not as full and robust as they could be, um, can be sort of brought out and, and melded. And you have to sort of think about um, the other person who's the artist too. So you need to think about, oh, what are they capable of? Um, so it's a different thought process. I think being an editor can inform your writing to a point. Um, definitely reading slush and seeing what doesn't work and talking through stories and um, mechanics of storytelling with authors can be helpful to a point. But I think um, after a while, you start seeing the same kind of weaknesses over and over again, especially in slush. And at that point, you sort of have to step back and say, well, the only way I'm going to get better is, is to work on the craft aspect by myself. Mm. Do you have anything that you're currently working on? Um, well, I always have several short stories that I'm working on at every any, any given point. Um, I'm sort of not a good short story writer. <laughs> I realize that's not my strength. Um, I like to go bigger before I go smaller, and it's just you know, at odds with the form. Um, I'm currently sketching out uh, a sort of fantasy novel for middle grade readers, so 10 to 12 year olds. Mm. Um, yeah, that is really fun um, for me, actually, because when I was, I've been out of school for a couple years now, and I really haven't been productive at all in terms of writing. Um, and that was a big source of you know, frustration for me for a very long time. Um, and I eventually just sort of thought, okay, well, you know, what are, what, what is going to, what is going to make it happen again? Um, and all of the stories that I feel like arrested me and like the ones that I fell in, that made me fall in love with reading, the ones that I really fell in love with were, you know, stories like, um, The Phantom Tollbooth or Diana Wynne-Jones, these sort of beautiful escapist novels for younger readers. And that's really what I thought would be um, a good entrance for myself back mm. into this world. So, yeah, I'm writing about a 10-year-old girl who goes to live with her aunt, who's a witch in um, Appalachia. And she needs to learn to be a witch and come into her own. But before this can happen, her aunt is captured by the evil mountain king, who's this creature who lives in the mountains. And she has to go and rescue her aunt and... There's lots of wacky hijinks and terrifying, <laughs> terrifying forest monsters, and you know that I I'm really kind of pleased with myself because the uh, the little girl, of course the that you know the mountain king is this sinister creature and he thinks that there's no way that she can stand against him, but um, I, the girl's power is to raise the dead, so I'm just really looking forward to like writing scenes with like zombie forest creatures and stuff. I think it'll be fun. Well, I was going to ask you, I mean, it's funny that you just said that uh, a lot of what I've read from Shimmer has the a darker tone or just a heavier, grayer feel to it. You know, it's definitely uh, not bright and vibrant stories. Um, so I was wondering how much of that 
bleeds into your own, especially if you're writing for a younger audience. And here you are <laughs> raising the dead, so it's yeah. perfect. Well, okay. First of all, I think that the sort of dark bent that Shimmer has, it's there. But that's not the only thing that we write or that we edit or that we want to publish. You know what I mean? It's like, I think... It, that that aspect of what we do is sort of run away with itself. Um, our entrance into the digital website publishing was pretty dark. And people have just sort of doubled down on it. <laughs> I promise that we also like happy things. Well, I'm sure <laughs> you, you'll have to, maybe after the interview or during, you'll have to send me because I, I did read a handful and I... Yeah. None of them were the None happy. None of them were happy. Yeah, sorry. No, I promise some of them are happy. Um, <laughs> but no, we definitely like, you know, humor. We're always down to have something funny. Um, hope is really nice. We're not getting a lot of hope anymore. Please send us stuff with hope. <laughs> There's no hope in our slush pile anymore. Um, but yeah, I think what Shimmer really is interested in is sort of the dark and the weird. Um, but the thing about the namesake of Shimmer is that there's darkness and light in there. I'm making this up as I go. <laughs> I love it. And they sort of interact in a way to create something beautiful. Still making this up. Right. That's what we want. Something that has darkness and light that's playful and beautiful um, and not so heavy, even though I think a lot of what we have been doing is heavy. And I like heavy too. Like you know, heavy can be fun. Now, what what do you look for? I'm going back to now the you as the editor. What do you look for right. as you're reading through? I know each quarterly issue kind of mm -hmm. has a general central theme or some sort of line tying right. them together. Right. Uh, are you looking for something that fits into that or are you just trying to find a good story? Um, well, I think that first and foremost, foremost, we want to find good stories, of course. Um, what happens with, in terms of like the, the theme for the issue, it's not really official. What usually happens is we find one amazing like crown jewel story and we're like, oh, like this is, you know, it has to be of appropriate length and it has sort of, um, you know, a bunch of different interesting components and we call that like sort of the, the cover story. So it's the the story that comes out first, and then we kind of build an issue around that. Um, and this is all Elise Tobler, by the way, who does the um, the, the choosing of which uh, story is going in which issue and in what order. Um, in terms of pulling things out of the slush pile, it's really, for me, I can only speak to myself, but for me, the first thing that I'm looking for is voice, um, because I think that like your voice as a, as a writer is sort of like, you know, your point of view in any kind of other artistic form. Um, I want to know that the person who's telling the story has a reason to be telling it and that it's going to be fun and like interesting and kind of weird as they're telling it to me. Um, and then the writing has to be, you know, beautiful or if not beautiful, at least you know, not like classically like purple and voluptuous or whatever, but um, doing something that works within the story so they have to sort of relate. Um, we like fresh ideas, different takes on things, don't like anything too tropey. And um, the ending is really important, for at least for me, 
I, I really like it when stories stick the landing. I think when we ask, we don't usually do this, but whenever we do ask, you know, an author, can you do you think about tweaking this a little bit and then sending it back to us, um, it's because the ending didn't quite stick. Mm. For me, a, a shimmer ending um, sort of calls to something bigger than in the story, but it's also emotionally resonant with, with what's in the story, which is a tall order, I know, but... It happens, so I know you guys can do it. I know it can happen. Um, do you see now? Going back to the this title of uh, speculative fiction, do you end up with uh, because it is such a, a broad expanse of sci-fi, fantasy, mm-hmm. uh, horror as well? Do you find a lot of things that people are like, "Oh, this is the place I can finally send my," you know. Uh, mm-hmm story about uh, the the elf who saved the fairy princess or whatever you know like are you finding that people aren't because i've read through your uh your guidelines for submission and you definitely are trying to steer away from some of the the br- more general mm-hmm. versions of sci-fi fantasy right. right well i think the thing is that in the the science fiction and fantasy market there are already these huge, amazing, very selective institutional magazines that are doing that. You know, there's fantasy and science fiction, um, which is a sort of fantastic magazine. They've just um, gotten a new editor, Charlie Finlay, and he's great. Um, Asimov's is a a classic of um, science fiction, and they're also great. Uh, I subscribe to Asimov's, I think, or my dad does, someone does. Uh, Beyond Ceaseless Skies is your classic sort of science fiction fantasy adventure magazine. Um, And, you know, there are are a lot of other really great magazines that are looking for those types of of things, the things that you mentioned, who who are looking for just sort of science fiction fantasy excellently written, telling new voices, da-da-da-da-da. But what Schumer is doing is, I think, a really sort of specific type of story. and also a specific type of aesthetic. So if you can get the aesthetic, like we've definitely published hard science fiction. I don't know if you've read, if you read like, well, we, we, we did publish a story, I think of like robots drinking tea together or something. And, mm. and we have one called Monsters in Space, which you can read online, um, which is about a, a girl who lives in a, I think an, an, some sort of oil or mineral, mineral rig in space. And that's pretty spacey, science fiction-y. But in terms of, like, the aesthetic bent, it's still about sort of feelings and emotions sure. and, and people. And it's kind of weird. It's unclassifiable in, um, in, in, in a sort of general way. Like, that was just the background, but you're still watching a human character-driven story. Or yeah. Reading. Or, or that, like, it's not just about the technology or the technology and the human aspects sort of intermingle in a specific way um, and we're focusing a little bit more on the human hmm. aspect. Um, tell us a little bit about the the artwork because I mean with all science fiction, fantasy, mm-hmm. you know, the artwork is such a, a huge, not only a draw and advertising piece but uh, kind of give you that uh, amuse bouche for what you're about to to read. Right. 
Now, what, who is who is the artist, or do you have multiple artists that you work with? Um, we have one artist. His name is Sandro Castelli. He is fantastic. Um, he has been doing all of our cover art for the online editions. We used to take submissions for artists, but I think um, Sandro's uh, style and I think um, point of view and and the way that he creates these sort of really physical his his paintings to me are always very physical. There's like a physicality, mm -hmm. um, sort of like knuckle bony fleshy aspect to all of his um, paintings that are really that's really appealing to me um, and I like that so we work with Sandro I think exclusively um, and Elise and he work together to you know do the art or I think what actually happens is she gives him the story and is like read this amazing story and make art for it <laughs> and then he just sort of you know is like of course and then he geniuses out onto the canvas and we get a a picture like several weeks later and we're all like oh it's amazing we love you you're so it, great <laughs> I mean it definitely is amazing um, now you also mentioned uh, that some of these stories can be read online for free is everything available online for free yeah everything that we've published since um, last May is online for free? I'm fairly certain. Let me just look up the uh, the uh, back issues. I think it's May. The website's not responding right now, so that's fine. But yeah, since May is available for free, there are um, the back issues that used to be in print. Uh, I know you can buy those um, and subscriptions if you want to get access to. Uh, all of those stories as soon as they're out. So what we do is we release one story every two weeks. Hmm. We can get issues in PDF form um, for like $15 a year. So it's six issues or something like that for $15. It's pretty chill. Um, but if you don't want to pay, you can always come look on our website. Now I'm going to have you uh, do something for us, Sophie, if you don't mind. Uh, right. At Black Hill Press, we started this program project uh, at the beginning of the year called Routinology, where we uh, study the routine of creative types, you know, what, uh, mm -hmm. what you need, what you do every time you sit down at your computer or typewriter or notepad, and what you need around you, what, how do you listen to music, what is mm -hmm. your routine, and maybe we'll do it twofold, we can... Mm -hmm. Talk about your routine as a writer, and we'll also talk about your routine as an editor or reader as well. Okay. Um, coffee is very important in either of those things. There's a lot of caffeine. Um, and that's mostly because I sort of scrabble in all this time to do stuff at the edges of my day. Um, I'm, not a very, I'm not very good at, at keeping a routine. In terms of the editing, I do try to get online to read slush um, about twice a week. And I usually pick in the evening after I come home from work. So I'll just sit and at my computer, drink some coffee, read through the slush. Occasionally I'll do it on my lunch break as well. Um, I will also read, so there are stories that we put up for the editorial board. We call those the board stories. Um, board stories I will read during lunch as well, usually my, my lunch hour, and I will 
you know, sort of go through those. And the reason that I do those during lunch and not at night is because board stories are all, they're going to be like sort of different than um, reading slush because the slush is a very simple question. It's, is this good enough to show to everybody else or not? Mm. Um, with board stories, it's like, okay, is this story good by itself? Does it need something? Does the ending work? Do I believe the characters? Um, is this cohering thematically? Um, is this a shimmer story? We get a lot of really good stories that come in that are exceptionally well written that aren't quite what we're looking for, which right. I, it's like really frustrating because they're great, but they're not going to work for like the overall feel of the magazine. So yeah, I run the Twitter feed for the magazine as well. So I'll try to get on Twitter a couple times a day, tweet something. Uh, Elise also tweets and then I do the newsletter, um, which is every two weeks when a story goes live on the website. I try to send a little email out to our email subscribers. Just say, hey, look, you can come read this. It's awesome as usual. Great. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's not a whole lot of routine there. And unfortunately, with with my writing, it's, it's very similar. Um, I'm trying to like build a routine for myself right now. Um, I know a lot of writers get up early in the morning to write. I keep m meaning to do that and not doing it. Um, well, a lot of writers can't get up early in the morning to just right. so you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I am not an early in the morning kind of writer. So. Yeah, I think I could be if I tried hard enough, but I'm just not trying hard enough at this point. Um, for me, uh, there's a lot of um, a, a lot of kind of like brainstorming that goes into it. So I'll sort of sit and doodle out things. Um, one of the things that I really do believe in, however, is that whatever you need to do to make the words come out, you have to do it. This involves lying to yourself, <laughs> tricking yourself. Um, something that I used to do when I was in school and working on my bachelor's thesis was I wrote a bunch of that on uh, like those flashcards because the space I had to fill was smaller than writing it on paper mm. or on the screen, which is completely nutty, but it worked. Um, I've written stories on, you know, napkins and, and post-it notes just to try to bring myself out of whatever crazy place I've managed to box myself into. They're really hyper-neurotic, like, oh, I'm not going to write, you know, however many words I have to write today. In, um, especially I think in, in science fiction and fantasy, the, the culture is like, oh yeah, you got to hit your word count goals. And, you know, I never hit my word count goals. So I'm sort of always <laughs> in this state of like, oh, alas, I have failed. Um, and, ooh, and I also think that, did you hear that? Yeah. Was that the air conditioning? Yeah. Um, I also think that there's something to say, um, for building like a sort of safe mental space for when you write. So I think I like to psych myself down before I start to pick up the pen or the, the keyboard and write, um, just to say like, it's okay. There are no stakes here. Mm. Just put something down. Um, and then later you can come in again, as I said, like being an editor is different than being a writer. I can sort of let my editor brain revise and see what's wrong with it. And then I have to switch back into, into my writer brain and, and work on it that way. But yeah, that's not a really helpful answer, interesting answer, I don't think. Oh, it is, definitely, definitely is. Now, you know, I think, and maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like with 
uh, sci-fi fantasy with this genre, speculative fiction, I think there would be a lot of research that would need to go into everything. So do you do you take time as a writer as you're working on this novel to uh, dedicate time to research as well? Yeah, yeah, there's definitely um, a lot of research in my life right now. What I sort of did previously was I cheated and just used things like settings that I knew really well. So one of my um, short stories, Oyster Beach, is just set on um, Chincoteague Island, which is an island near where I grew up. And the island is um, off the coast of Virginia, and uh, there are like wild horses on the island next to it. None of that, any of the actuality stuff that is there that makes it unique is in the story. I just sort of supplanted everything that I needed, the, the geography, the kinds of people that I saw there when I was visiting as a child. Um, the buildings, I just stole those and put them in my story. Hmm. Um, I think another thing that makes it easier for me is that I'm not super into um, historical mythologies of places. I like to sort of invent new things and sort of hybridize modern contemporary life with the more fantastic stuff. Um, this means that I have to do these little bargaining chips all the time. So like, yeah, maybe I'm writing a story about a mermaid. How does the mermaid go undetected? The mermaid probably has to be smart and it probably also has to be taking place in a poorer rural town where maybe scientists and other people aren't going, they aren't really paying attention to it. Hmm. And this is sort of the way that it's been for a very long time. Sophie, we're out of time, but thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. It was a, a lot of fun and very informative. All right. Thank you. My pleasure. This has been The How, The Why by Black Hill Press. I'm your host, John Barrett Ingalls. The show is produced by Kevin Stanek and yours truly, with production assistance by Sarah Becker. The music is Maya Lua by Basa Zuzu. I wanted to thank everybody for your creativity and your inspiration and to remind you all to keep making art. Thank you.